Father, we love you. We thank you, Lord, for sustaining us and keeping us and loving us. Thank you, Lord, for waking us up this morning. Your mercies are new every morning, Lord, and we cling to your grace today. Pray, Lord, that you would prepare our hearts to receive your word, that it would penetrate deeply and change us from within, Lord. As your word says, if any man is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Help us to live the new life in you, Lord, the new creation in you through the power of the Holy Spirit, Lord. Please help us. Strengthen us. Strengthen our faith in you. Encourage us, Lord. Help us to lift our eyes to heaven today. And minister to our hearts, Lord. Forgive us of our sin. Help us to look forward for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Be with your church, Lord, around the world. Strengthen your church. May your light penetrate dark hearts. May people receive your word. For the harvest is plentiful, Lord, and the labors are few. So we beseech you that you would send out more labors to reach this lost and dying world. Help us, Lord, to be steadfast and immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing our toil is not in vain. We love you, Lord. We praise you. Bless this message in Jesus' name. Amen. Title of today's message is Fighting for Joy. Fighting for Joy. My struggles to stay in the book of Colossians. Leah's like, are you going to do a teaching in Colossians and then something that's on your heart and then a teaching in Colossians and then something that's on your heart and at this rate we'll be in Colossians for a year. So we'll see. That wasn't my intention, but when God puts something on my heart, I just have to start writing and then a message evolves. So I want to talk about joy today and one way to define joy is gladness because of grace recognized. Gladness because of grace recognized recognize it's the awareness of God's grace and favor which leads to a true joy a true gladness it's a deep rooted satisfaction in Christ because he saved us because he loves us because he cares for us because he's preparing a place for us and in the midst of all our struggles these are truths that we can cling to that should give us joy you know, Jesus in Matthew 13, 18 through 23, he explains the parable of the sower. And you know the, the four soils, if you will, although one of them is, I don't know if it's a soil because the, the seed is sown to the roadside. It's beside the road there. You have the rocky soil, the thorny soil, the good soil, and then that road there where the seed is thrown. And Jesus elaborates on the rocky soil in Matthew 13, 20. The disciples want insight, and so Jesus gives it in this parable. And he says in Matthew 13, 20, and one, the one on whom the seed was sown on the rocky place is this, is the man who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no firm root in himself, but is only temporary. And when affliction, that's Philipsis is the Greek word there. When affliction or tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he falls away. That word philipsis means pressure, to be constricted, to feel nar- like you're in a narrow place. Maybe some of you get claustrophobic. I do. If I ever, I've never really tried to get claustrophobic. In the fire academy I went through, they had us crawl through these tunnels and it was dark and you couldn't see anything and there's wires and I felt so claustrophobic in there. I was like freaking out and there was nothing for me to do but continue to crawl forward until I, it was a maze in this big box that they made to just torture us, if you will. 
and I was looking for that light, that door to get out of there. I could only move forward. And at times in our Christian walks with the Lord, that's how we feel. We have the darkness all around us. We're in this world, the world, the flesh, the devil, and it's just hard. And we're like, okay, Lord, we're crawling forward. I'm just going to keep moving forward. I have nowhere else to go. Like Peter tells Jesus in John chapter 6, where else are we going to go? You have the words to eternal life. So we're going to continue to follow in your footsteps. We're going to continue to follow after you. We don't want a temporary joy. We don't want a joy that's choked out because of persecution or affliction or the cares of this world. We want a deep-rooted system, not a superficial experience of truth. You know, Jesus is called the root of David. In Revelation 5.5, 5, in Revelation 22.6, he's called the root of David. He, he's the root. He's the foundation. He's the cornerstone. And we need to build our life upon him. That's where true joy is found. If you've lived any time long in this world, you've experienced thlipsis. You've experienced affliction in one way or another, some sort of trial, tribulation, temptation. It can all be part of that word thlipsis. It's translated in many different ways in the New Testament. And it can be caused by the flesh in our lives. It can be caused by the world. It can be caused by the devil. It could be caused by other people in the church. It can be caused by a multitude of things flips this as a part of our lives. Jesus said in John 16, 33, in this world, you will have flipsis. In this world, you will have tribulation. You will have affliction. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. I think that's like the synopsis of this message. Be of good cheer. Jesus has overcome, yet we're going to have affliction. We're going to have trials. We're going to have temptations. Acts 14, 22 says, through many flipsis, through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. And the Greek word there is polus for many. Acts 14, 22, through many tribulations. Not, not through few, not through some, not through a little bit. Polus, many, often, multitudinous, plenteous, great in amount. Many tribulations through many tribulations this is what the disciples this is what paul was going to the churches teaching them they received the gospel they were walking in the gospel they're baby christians and he wants them to know don't worry tribulations are coming don't be surprised by them don't be caught off guard by them this is part of the christian walk you know paul prays and or he says in colossians 2 7 having been having been firmly rooted and now being built upon him and established in your faith just as you were instructed and overflowing with gratitude. Once again, building our life on the rock of Jesus Christ. It's no wonder that one of the most, the best-selling books in the world outside of the Bible throughout the last several hundred years has been this book, Pilgrim's Progress. Perhaps you've heard of it. I mean, what Christian can't relate to this book? What Christian, listen to some of the chapters in this book. The Swamp of Despond, The Hill of Difficulty, Timorous and Mistrust, Battle with Apollyon, The Valley of the Shadow of Death, Vanity Fair, The Hill Lucre, Doubting Castle, Delectable Mountains, the river of death, until finally he's looking at the celestial city. He's got this pack on his back that he, he can't get rid of. 
And that's some of us in the Christian walk. We have burdens that we're carrying on to that we shouldn't, that we need to lay at the foot of the cross. Cast your cares upon him because he cares for you. It's a book written by a man who spent 12 years in prison for preaching the gospel. They said, preach the gospel, you go into prison. We'll let you out, don't preach the gospel. That was the ultimatum. And his wife would go to the chief magistrates, these politicians, and she was trying to plead John Bunyan's case. I've read part of his biography, and she brought the children in there. She goes, look, I have a blind child. I have four kids. My husband's in jail. Please let him out. He didn't do anything wrong. He just wants to teach the Bible. That's it. Please let him teach. Let him let release him. And she goes back to them over and over. She's in tears and for off and on for 12 years. In part, I think they let him out. And then he got thrown back in jail. And if it wasn't for church members helping out his wife Elizabeth, helping provide financially for her, taking care of these children, who knows what would have happened to her and the kids. But Bunyan had his eyes set on the prize. He wrote most of Pilgrim's Progress from jail. Perhaps it was in part autobiographical. He, he sure could relate to Christian in this story. Listen to what Bunyan says about hope and joy. He says, Hope has a thick skin and will endure many a blow. It will put on patience as a vestment and will endure all things, if they be of the right kind, for the joy that is set before it. Hence, patience is called patience of hope because it is hope that makes the soul exercise long-suffering under the cross until the time comes to enjoy the crown. It sounds awfully like Romans 12, 12. Rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer. You know, hope can flicker and fade in our Christian walk with the Lord because of sin, because of doubt, because we drift from the Lord to places that we probably shouldn't go in our minds and in our hearts, and we don't have perfect joy. We don't have perfect hope at all times. We don't have perfect love because we live in an imperfect world. We live in, in these sinful, fleshly bodies that we're constantly fighting against. That's why we need to fight for joy because the flesh is fighting against it constantly. We need a deep-rooted Christian joy and the friends of joy I guess you could say are endurance and hope and patience because when you don't necessarily feel joy or have joy to the fullest what are you going to do are you going to be patient are you going to wait on the Lord are you going to cry out to him or are you going to turn to sin are you going to turn to the flesh are you going to give in I shared this with the guys on Tuesday night the longest boxing match ever recorded, according to the Guinness Book of World Records, seven hours and 19 minutes, 110 rounds. This f boxing match was fought in New Orleans in Louisiana. I think it was around 1893 or so. One of the men in this fight broke, according to an article I read, every single bone in both of his hands. He was bedridden for six weeks after this fight. I think it got to the 108th round, and the, the referee said, you got two more rounds, okay? If one of you doesn't knock the other out, if one of you doesn't win this fight, I'm calling a draw. And after the next two rounds, they could barely get out of the corner, and he just said, that's it. No contest, draw. And I couldn't believe that. Seven hours, it went from like 9 p.m. to 4 a.m. in the morning. And I couldn't help but think of the analogy of that in our fight. 
in the Christian walk, that at times it feels grueling. Abstain from fleshly lust, Peter says, that wage war against your soul and this fight from inside that's going on in our flesh. And we just, I don't know about you, but I've felt like this man to where I just need to rest a little bit. Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest, right? Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. We just need that light load. We need to go to Jesus when we feel weary in our fight against sin. And it's a fight against the flesh. It's a fight against the old man. It's a fight that goes back to the book of Genesis when sin entered the world. Perhaps you remember what God told Cain, Genesis 4, 7. This is what God told Cain. If you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you. You must master it. Cain, you must rule it. You must have dominion over it. Sin wants to take over your life, Cain. You can master it, though. You can do well. You can follow me. You can give good sacrifices and conquer sin in your life. And how much more today with the power of the Holy Spirit within us can we conquer sin? Can we conquer flesh? Can we conquer the old man? Too many Christians, I think, it's just the fight gets hard and we're like, I'm just giving in. I just... I was counseling someone a couple weeks back and I was like, do you believe that you can win this fight? Do you believe that you can actually conquer this sin in your life? Do you believe that? Do you believe that the Bible teaches that? You have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. Jesus said it's better that I go to the Father because if I go, I'll give you the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth, the Spirit that will convict the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. It's the Holy Spirit through the book of Acts who led these apostles to do these amazing things for the Lord. They were unstoppable. Nothing could get in their way. Not persecution, not being thrown in jail. Look at Stephen in Acts chapter 7, not death. Whatever came their way, they were able to conquer through Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit within them. I believe the church needs more of that today. But I can definitely sympathize and understand with people who are struggling and going, it's hard. I, I don't feel like I can win this battle. I can't, I don't feel, whatever this sin is over here, I just don't feel like I can conquer it. Oh, I, I can relate to that. Galatians 4, 17. For the flesh sets its desire against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another. So you may not do the things that you please. The flesh hates it when you fellowship. The flesh hates it when you're at church, when you're in the word, when you're serving the Lord, when you want to do things that are pleasing to the Lord. The flesh is there trying to hold you back. But then Paul says in Galatians 5, 24, Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Crucify the flesh with its passions and desires. And then, of course, there's Romans 8, 13, and 14. If you're living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit you're putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all those who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. So he says in Romans 8, 13, and 14, put to death the deeds of the body. What are the deeds of the body? What are you going to put to death if you don't know what they are? Well, Colossians 3, 5 tells us these are the deeds of the body. Let me just summarize them. Lust, greed, idolatry, evil desires, anger, rage, slander, 
foul language. Colossians 3, 5 as well says, consider yourself dead. Some translations translate it, put these to death. Lust, greed, idolatry, evil desires, anger, rage, slander, foul language, put them to death. Then Paul says, put these on instead. Humility, kindness, gentleness, forgiveness, put on love. When you put on the new man, these things, it leads to peace. It leads to thanksgiving. It leads to joy. I want to give you three ways today to fight for joy. Three ways that we can fight the good fight of faith, crucify the flesh, walk in the Holy Spirit. Three ways to fight for joy. Number one, fight for joy by fighting for your spiritual senses to be awakened. Fight for joy by fighting for your spiritual senses to be reawakened. Trials, afflictions, suffering, temptation, sin, they all attack your spiritual senses. Seeing God for who he is. Scripture says, taste and see that the Lord is good, right? Hearing, tasting, enjoying God for who he is. Jesus said in Matthew 13, 16, blessed are you yourselves because you see and your ears because they hear. Blessed are your eyes because they see and your ears because they hear. He's looking at the disciples and he's saying, you're blessed because you see me for who I really am. You're believing in me as Messiah. You're believing my teaching. You're following me. Because right before that, he's talking about the Jews who are rejecting him. And he's saying they have eyes, but they don't see. They have ears, but they don't hear. Their hearts have become dull. They're not seeing the glory. They're not seeing the beauty. 2 Corinthians 4, 4 says that Satan blinds the minds of the unbelieving so that they won't see the light of the gospel. He doesn't want people to see the beauty of Christ, and he wants to veil Christians from seeing in all its power the glory and beauty and majesty of Jesus Christ. So Paul prays this in Ephesians 1, 18 and 19. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know what's the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the surpassing greatness of his power. He's like, I pray that you see these things, the riches of Jesus, the power of Jesus, the hope that's in Jesus, the, all that he has in store for you. God wants us to see these things to the fullest. How much joy do you have if you can't smell or taste food? You're, you're preparing that cheeseburger, but you can't smell it. You can't taste it. More Johnny Bronx pizza, like I've been talking to Ivan about, that I need to, I need to try. He says it's really good. Better than Topper's. I don't know about that. Topper's pizza, that's hard to beat. Maybe it's smoked ribs. I had some really good smoked ribs uh, recently from Paul. Thank you. Those were gone the next morning. I, was, I actually took a picture and was going to send it to you. Say, look, Ziploc bag, it's all gone. But I could taste it. If I couldn't taste it and smell it, I, it wouldn't have been nearly as good. And maybe for you it's sushi or a steak or may, I don't know what your food is that you're just like, this is my type of food but you know with covid many people lost their smell and their taste and bacon i heard i think it was steve aguilar he's like i can't smell bacon you know i can't taste bacon it's not the same i, I think that was steve i hope it was that's embarrassing but you know that's what happens in our spiritual walk with the lord our senses get all out of whack we don't see god for who he is and a prime example of this is Psalm 51 with David. 
And I'll have you turn there and we'll read in just a minute, verses 8 through 17, if you want to join me. But in Psalm, fe- Psalm 51, here's David. He's, he says in verse 3, I think it is, that sin is all around him. And he's just crying out to God, wash me, purify me, cleanse me. He's crawling. He's, he's begging. He's pleading for mercy. He's a spiritual cripple in this psalm. I mean, lies, adultery, murder. David's like, is there any hope for me? He has no joy. He's like, joy is a distant memory, and he's begging for it. He's begging for joy. He's begging that he could see God for who he is. He's all disoriented. And let's read Psalm 51, verses 8 through 17. See if you can pick up on a couple of these spiritual senses, even, even right as we begin. Psalm 51, 8. Make me to hear joy and gladness. Let the bones which you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence. Do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of thy salvation and sustain me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways. And sinners will be converted to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, God, the God of my salvation. Then my tongue will joyfully sing of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, that my mouth may declare your praise. For you do not delight in sacrifice, otherwise I would give it. You're not pleased with burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Open my ears that I may hear of your joy and my mouth. I want to praise you. Open my lips, Lord. I want, I want to praise you. I want to see you. I want a new heart. Create in me a clean heart. Oh, God, do you hear the plea? Do you hear the begging? Do you hear him just wanting to be renewed and wanting to have joy in his life? And I love how verse 17 there says the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. He knows he can sacrifice as many animals, and that's not going to do it. God wants humility. He wants a humble heart. He wants someone who's going to cry out for grace and mercy, and that's right where God will show up. Some say there's five senses, sight and taste and smell and hearing and touch, and some say there's a sixth sense, and it's this big word that I was researching. It's proprioception. Some say this is the sixth sense, proprioception. It can be defined as a sense through which we perceive the position and movement of our body, including our sense of equilibrium and balance, kind of understanding your body and its movement and balance. And I just thought of verse 8 at the end of it where David is saying, let the bones which you have broken rejoice, that he's all, there's no equilibrium here. There's no, he's not walking. He's barely crawling. He's broken. This Hebrew word for broken there, according to the Benson commentary, it's, it means more than broken. It means to be mashed. It, the Benson commentary states to the exquisite torture, exquisite torture he must have felt that all his bones had been crushed. The, the Hebrew word dichita signifies more than broken, namely being entirely mashed. My bones are mashed. Please, Lord, renew them. Bring them back together so that they can praise you. And it's actually the same Hebrew word used in verse 17 where it says the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. 
You go to God with a mashed heart, with a broken heart, he's there to hear your cry. I think it's Psalm 34. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted. He saves those who are crushed in spirit. So here's David. He's humbly going before the Lord in this psalm. If you've been a Christian, you can relate to this psalm at one point or another. Psalm 34 is another psalm where David is pleading to see, to taste, to enjoy God. Psalm 34, the psalm that we're memorizing on Tuesday nights as men. Some of us have gotten two verses, some one verse, some a half of a verse, some maybe 14 verses. Jesse DeStocky, praise the Lord. He's putting us all to shame. I just look to him when the night starts. I say, all right, Jesse, because we try to recite them together. And I say, all right, all right, Jesse, kick it off. And he's ready to go. Psalm 34, David, once again, he says, taste and see. Psalm 34, 8, taste and see that the Lord is good. How blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Psalm 34, 5, those who look to him are radiant and their faces will never be ashamed. The Berean Standard Bible and the Christian Standard Bible Put it this way, those who look to him are radiant with joy. Their faces will never be ashamed. When you look to the Lord, your face, your spiritual face, even your spiritual being will be lit up. You'll have joy. Psalm 34, 2, my soul will make its boast in the Lord. The humble will hear it and rejoice. So taste and see and look and hear and rejoice in the Lord, David is pleading in Psalm 34. I know it's for the men, but women, if you want to join along, get into Psalm 34, start memorizing it. Leah, a while back, was memorizing Ephesians, and uh, she memorized all of Ephesians 1, and I got through about the first three verses or so, and I said, I'm going to keep up with you, and then I just gave up after three verses. So I, I know it's hard. But once you keep pushing through, if you need tips, go ask Jesse DeStocky. He'll help you, okay? But there's fruit that comes from it. I'm telling you, there's fruit. One more psalm, Psalm 63. David graduates to Psalm 63. Psalm 51, he's on his knees. He's crumbling. Psalm 63, the circumstances are similar, but what he says is much different. He's in the wilderness. Many commentators believe by this point, years after Bathsheba and that whole situation, he's running from Absalom. Absalom, his son, wants to take the kingdom, so David flees Jerusalem. He's feeling like, I don't know if this is going to be my kingdom anymore. While he's on the way, if you remember, this person is just lambasting him and just making fun of him and just saying, look at you, this is what you deserve. And one of David's mighty men's like, I can go, I can go chop off his head right now if you want. We could just silence him. Because I think his name was Ziba, and he's throwing rocks at David, and he's kicking dust at David, and he's just essentially just mocking him. And the men are waiting. They're eager. They've got the swords in their hand. They're like, just give me the word. That guy's dead. And David's like, no, no, no. That, leave that in the Lord's hands. That could be of the Lord. And, you know, now humility's kicking in. He's realizing... You know, I, des I deserve a lot worse than what I've gotten. And that's a whole other story. That wasn't in my notes. But David gets out to the wilderness, and this is his plea in Psalm 63. God, you are my God. Earnestly I will seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh yearns for you. In a dry and weary land where there is no water. Thus I've seen you in the sanctuary to see your power and your glory. 
Because your loving kindness is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. I will lift up my hands in your name. My soul is satisfied as with marrow and fatness. My mouth offers praises with joyful lips. When I remember you on my bed, I meditate on you in the night watches. For you have been my help. And in the shadow of your wings, I sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. Those first eight verses or so, I love David's heart clinging to the Lord. Lord, I need you. Here I'm in this wilderness. I have no water. You're my everything. I'm earnestly clinging to you. I'm on my bed. I'm meditating on you. I've seen your power in the sanctuary. Because your loving kindness is better than life, my lips will praise you. That's the heart of a man who truly sees God for who he is. Take everything away from him. Strip the kingdom from him. Strip everything from him. Set him out in the wilderness with no water and see what comes out of him. That's when you know your spiritual senses are rightly aligned. We don't want to stay in Psalm 40, 51. We want to graduate to Psalm 63. That's where we want to live. Worshiping, meditating, singing, rejoicing, clinging to the Lord. No matter what we're going through because his loving kindness is better than life. Point number two, we fight for joy by fighting to walk in the truth. Fighting to walk in the truth. Lies will destroy your joy. There's lies all around us. If you're on the internet for more than five minutes, you're going to hear lies. If you're watching politicians for more than 30 seconds, you're going to hear lies. Okay? (laughs) There's lies everywhere, and there's lies that Satan also is flinging your way. He's scheming. He's plotting. He's planning. He's trying to get your eyes off of God. He's trying to besmirch God and his attributes, who he is, his love towards you, his compassion towards you, his kindness, his goodness. Satan wants these things to be muddled in our minds. So he's constantly lying about who God is. I mean, how much joy are you going to have if you doubt how much God loves you? How much joy are you going to have if you doubt your salvation? How much joy are you going to have if you sin and you doubt if God will forgive you? How much joy are you going to have if you're going through a trial and you're doubting whether God cares for you, whether God's good? 3 John 1.4, I have no greater joy than this, to hear that my children are walking in the truth. I love that. The Apostle John John's all about the truth. If you read the Gospel of John, 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, over 40 times, John references truth. John's got the nickname Son of Thunder. I think it was James and John at one point, they want to call down lightning from heaven. I think they're in um, Samaria, and they're not believing. They're rejecting Jesus. They're not seeing Jesus for who he truly is, and they say, Jesus, do you want us to call down lightning from heaven and just consume all of them? And Jesus rebukes them, okay? Show some love, guys. I'm in control of these things. You just show love and get the gospel out, okay? But he gets the name Son of Thunder. And he's all about the truth. And so when the truth is being maligned and when Gnosticism starts creeping into the church, man, he's hammering on the truth. Jesus is the truth. And he says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. John 8, 32 Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. Free from the law and the entanglements of all these laws that were burdening people. Free from sin 
and all its entanglements, free from the power of Satan. The truth shall set you free, free to live a joy-filled life in Christ. Satan wants us to doubt God, doubt his love, doubt his goodness. Satan is called the tempter, 1 Corinthians 7, 5. He sinned from the beginning, 1 John 3, 8. He's a deceiver, 2 Corinthians 11, 3. He's a liar, John 8, 44. He's a thief, John 10, 10. Scripture tells us we must resist him. James 4, 7, 1 Peter 5, 8, and 9. Resist. It's this term that means to stand your ground. Like Jesus, as we read in the men's group on Tuesday night, how Jesus stood his ground against Satan in Matthew chapter 4. And Jesus three times says, It is written, Satan, it is written. It is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And three times after Jesus quotes from Deuteronomy, then Satan runs. He flees. Resist the devil, he'll flee from you. When you're in that battle, when you're in that attack, that's why we meditate on God's word. That's why we memorize scripture. So that when Satan's throwing lies your way, he's throwing doubts your way, he's trying to deceive you, you pull out the truth and he flees. Jesus rebukes Satan in Matthew 16, 23. Remember Peter's trying to get Jesus off course. Jesus has set his mind. He, he's like Flint going to Jerusalem to die on the cross and Peter says, you're not going over there. Because Jesus showed them, I must go, I must suffer, I must die on the cross. Peter's like, no, Lord. Peter takes him aside. I'm essentially rebuking Jesus. And Jesus says, no, I rebuke you, Satan. Get behind me, Satan. Get out of the way. I must die for the sin of the world. Satan ensnares people, 1 Timothy 3.7. He holds people captive, 2 Timothy 2.26. He seeks someone to devour, 1 Peter 5.8. He disguises himself, 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen. He sows seeds of doubt, Genesis 3, 1. Now, I believe we can go too far and say, well, Satan made me do that. And here's Satan over here. And this is Satan right here. And we can attribute everything to Satan, not realizing that perhaps it's we're just toying with sin or we're not putting the flesh t- to death as we should. And it's our flesh rage raging and it's our flesh raising its ugly head and so we attribute that to Satan and I think that we can do that from time to time but I also think that we can swing the pendulum the other way and go I don't know if Satan's real and I don't really know if he's you know tempting me and I don't know if it's the demonic realm it's and so I'm trying to find this perfect biblical medium of all these scriptures that talk about Satan scheming and plotting and planning and disguising himself and doing all these things to sweep us away. But Revelation 20, verse 10 says, he will be seized, he will be bound, and he will be thrown into the lake of fire and brimstone. But until then, we have to resist. Until then, we fight because he's trying to outwit us. And 2 Corinthians 2, 11 says, we are not ignorant of his schemes. You don't want to be ignorant of the ways that he's trying to, to knock you off of in your faith. So Satan wants you miserable. He wants you depressed. He wants you despairing. He wants you doubting. When you read about in Ephesians 6, the full armor of God, it's not necessarily a text that you think of joy. This is a text of joy. Most pastors or people preaching on that text don't relate it to joy, but I believe it's 
in a sense, a text on joy, Ephesians 6, 10 through 19. And why is that? Because the scripture tells us in John 10, 10, the thief comes only to steal and to kill and destroy. I have come that you might have life and have it abundantly. God wants us to have an abundant life, a fulfilled life, a joy-filled life. And Ephesians 6 is all about standing firm in your faith, fighting against Satan, resisting him because he wants to steal your joy. He wants to rob you of hope. He wants to destroy you. So if you resist him, if you put on the full armor of God and he flees from you, you will have joy, I believe, in your life. And we see three things, three times in Ephesians 6, verse 11, verse 13, and verse 14, Paul's admonition is stand firm. Three times, stand firm against the schemes of the devil. Stand firm, stand firm, don't budge. I love that song, on Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. If you're on Christ, if you're on that solid rock, if you're building your house upon him, when the waves come and the, the storm rages, and it, you're going to stand. You're going to stand firm because your life is built upon him. It says in Ephesians 6, gird your loins with truth. 6.14, verse 16, ex extinguish his lies with the shield of faith. And then you have the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, Ephesians 6, 17. Hack him to pieces. That's what I see Jesus doing in Matthew 4. Satan's wounded and he just, he flees. When Satan comes at you with the question, does God really love you? Answer back with this question. Can a woman forget her nursing child and have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget, but I will not forget you. Isaiah 49, 15. That's a great verse. God's telling Israel, some will forget. A nursing mother, most nursing mothers won't forget their children. I will not forget you. All the promises of God are yes and amen. Fulfilled in us today, he will not forget you. He loves you if you are putting your faith and trust in him. When Satan comes at you with the question, are you really saved? Answer back with Romans 8.1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Are you in Christ Jesus? Jesus said no one can snatch you out of my hand. If you're in him, no matter what Satan does, you're safe in Christ's hand. When Satan comes at you with the question, will God really forgive you? You've sure messed up, man. You've, you've sure fallen. You're beyond the pale of redemption. Sorry. First John 1, 9, if we confess our sins. I love the text where it says we, like in Hebrews. If we go on sinning willfully after receiving, when the author includes himself, saying, look, I'm not beyond this either. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Goes back to David, a broken and contrite spirit, Lord, you will not despise. That's a broken and contrite spirit saying, Lord, I'm confessing my sin to you. Once you do, he's faithful to forgive you. It's a promise of scripture. Psalm 34, 22, the Lord redeems the soul of his servants and none of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. When you're going through a difficult trial, 
when you're being tempted, Satan's knocking at your door. Does God love you? Does God care for you? Take him to Romans 8, 35 through 37. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword just as it is written for your sake we are being put to death all day long we were considered as sheep to be slaughtered but in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us we overwhelmingly conquer you don't feel joy always it says in Hebrews 12 that when the Lord's disciplining you, it doesn't feel joyful in the moment. And I think we can relate a lot of things to feelings. Well, I don't feel joy, so therefore I can't be joyful. I don't feel peace, so I don't have peace. Or, man, I just had a great energy drink and went for a run and I got a runner's high and I got this caffeine high and I just feel great, so therefore I got the joy of the Lord. Therefore, I'm at peace. And it's like the feelings follow the feelings are there. If you have true joy, you are going to feel joy. If you have true peace, you're going to feel peace. If you're walking in the love of the Lord, you're going to feel love. But there are times where it's diminished. There are times where you're being disciplined by the Lord and it hurts. I don't know how much joy Jesus felt when he's in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he's saying, Lord, let this cup pass from me. I don't know that he felt a ton of joy right then. I don't know that the feelings were there. But he wasn't going mainly off of feelings he was going off of truth he was going off of faith he was going off off of trust and he's saying i'm moving forward father with whatever you want me to do because he knows obedience leads to joy and that's why it says for the joy set before him he endured the cross despising the shame and is seated now at the right hand of the father he's experiencing that joy in the fullest right now and that's my plea today is though you don't feel joy Though you don't feel peace, though you don't feel love, still pursue the Lord. Still pursue obedience. Still meditate on his word. Still be in fellowship. Still follow him and know that the feelings will come. Paul says in Romans 16, 20, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. You know, you feel like he's not relenting. You feel like you're caught up. If you trust in the Lord, he will crush Satan and he will eventually throw him into the lake of fire. Here's my last point. Point number three. Fight for joy by fighting to give your life in service to others. Fight to bless others. Fight to encourage others. Fight to love others. Fight to put yourself, to put others before yourself and to share the joy that you have with others. Our temptation is when we don't have joy to just kind of back off. What do you mean? I don't, I don't really have joy to share with anyone, so I'm not going to share anything rather than pursuing others. Jesus said it's more blessed to give than to receive. When you bless others, when you pour into others, you will be blessed. Your joy will go up. It's one of the hardest things to do when you're lacking joy to serve others. Your flesh will be screaming things like, feed me first, take care of me first, my wants first, my desires first. Just stay home from church. Don't go to small group. Don't read your Bible. Just mindlessly watch TV for the next 15 hours. That'll solve the problem. That will give you joy. Don't go to small group. Don't read your Bible. Don't meditate on scripture. Don't share with others. Just be alone. Just sulk. 
Just complain. Just be bitter. Just be angry about something. Find something to be anxious about. Ah, that feels better, right? That's the flesh. That's the flesh screaming out. And perhaps you've been there before. I don't know. Maybe you haven't. Asaph, in Psalm 73, that, that's describing him. At the beginning of Psalm 73, he says, I almost slipped. I almost fell away. I almost just threw in the towel. It was just too hard. I'm, he says, I'm looking at the wicked, and they're prospering. Their life is easy. They're accumulating wealth. Everything's going well for them, and I'm over here. I'm stricken every morning. I'm disciplined by the Lord. I'm going through trials and tribulations. I'm hurting. I've got all these burdens. I, this doesn't make sense. Why am I even following the Lord? He's sulking. He's bitter. He's angry. And then verse 17, until verse 17, he says, I stepped foot into the sanctuary of God. I did what I knew I should do. I should go where joy is found. I went into the sanctuary of God. He gets a glimpse of eternity. He snaps out of this stupor that he's in. He gets the big picture. And then I love verses 25 and 26. Whom have I in heaven but you? Besides you, I desire nothing on earth. My heart and my flesh may fail, but God, you are the strength of my heart. You're my portion forever. I love that transformation. A man who's in the muck and mire of despair and doubt is by the end of the chapter filled with joy, on fire for the Lord. He's now ready to serve and he closes out the chapter by saying, I will tell of all your works. I'm ready to go share this with whoever will listen. That's the place that the Lord wants us to be. Satan wants us to stay in the beginning of chapter 73, to stay in those first couple verses in despair. I'm of no use. Look, this person over there is doing so much and I'm jealous of this and, and just step out and say, no, I need to see God for who he is. I'm going to wait on him. I'm going to be patient on him until he shows up. And when he does, then I'm going to be used by him. I'm going to serve others. And lastly, we have the Apostle Paul. He's in a Roman prison. He's awaiting death. Tradition tells us that Nero put him to death by chopping off his head. Here's Paul in this Roman prison, and he's writing to the Philippian church. And it's a book all about joy. You read a New Testament book about joy, it's Philippians, right? And listen to what Paul says in Philippians 2, 17 and 18. He says, but even if I'm being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I rejoice. He says, I rejoice and I share my joy with you all. You too, I urge you, rejoice in the same way and share your joy with me. He says, I'm being poured out. I'm giving everything to you guys. I'm giving my life to you guys. He says in chapter one, I want to go be with Jesus because that's very much better to for me to live as Christ, to die as gain. I want to go be with Jesus, but I know that I'll remain and continue on with you for your progress and joy in the faith. And he goes on to say, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Paul had joy, but he wanted to have joy to the fullest. So he's saying, you rejoice and share your joy with me. Don't be burdened that I might go be with the Lord. Don't be burdened that I might die. Just rejoice and share your joy with me. Make my joy complete. How many of us as parents, when our children are joyful, that brings us more joy? And that's Paul. He's writing to these churches. He's writing to Philippine. He's just saying, rejoice 
This will make my joy complete. Yet no matter what circumstance he was in, he was able to have joy. And he says that in Philippians 4. Not that I speak from want. Philippians 4, 11 through 13. He tells us the secret. He says this is the secret to being joyful. Here it is. I'm going to reveal it. Not that I speak from want. I've learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along in humble means, and I know how to get along in abundance. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, of having an abundance and suffering need. Here's the secret. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. That's the secret. It's not some coded, it's not some veiled thing that we just can't grasp some esoteric knowledge. No, I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. When Christ is everything to you, you can, like Paul, be in jail. You could be awaiting death. You could be like David in the wilderness. When God and Christ is your all in all, you will be fulfilled. Whether hungry, whether suffering, whether having abundance, I can do all things through Jesus Christ who gives me strength. You want to say like Paul in 2 Corinthians 6.10, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing. You want to be able to say, like Paul in 2 Corinthians 7, 4, I'm overflowing with joy in the midst of all my affliction. You want to say, like Paul in Philippians 1, 4, I'm always offering prayers with joy in my every prayer for you all. And you want to say, like Paul in Philippians 1, 18, what then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And so in this, I will rejoice. I'm rejoicing in everything, Paul says, because Christ is my strength so how do you have your spiritual senses renewed how do you walk in the truth how do you give your life in service and therefore have joy the answer is jesus christ cling to jesus christ know jesus christ love jesus christ live for jesus christ preach christ exalt christ find encouragement in christ have the attitude of christ confess christ look to the day of Christ, glory in Christ, set your minds on the interests of Christ, the work of Christ, the prize of the upward call of God in Christ, the cross of Christ, our citizenship in heaven found in Christ, the truth of Christ, the honor of Christ, the righteousness of Christ, the purity of Christ, the reputation of Christ, the excellence of Christ, the praise of Christ, the grace of Christ, the one who meets all our needs. His name is Jesus Christ. That's what you need. That's what I need. We need his strength. We need his power. We need his Holy Spirit in us. A fight for joy is a fight to see and savor Jesus Christ, who he is, what he's done for us, to value him above everything else, no matter what comes our way. You might might say, I'm hurting. Well, Jesus hurt. You might say, I'm in pain. Jesus was in pain. You might say temptation is all around me. Scripture tells us temptation. Jesus was tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. You may feel forsaken. You may feel abandoned. You may feel depressed in despair. Jesus knows your pain. He knows our struggle. He's able to help. We need to look to him, trust in him, and wait on him. For the joy of the Lord is our strength.